I'd be lost. I'd be lost. I'm glad that the God who saves me is the God who keeps me. And uh, that's a blessing. Uh, people say, well, I, 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 don't, I don't believe in eternal security. And I, I, I realize there's folk that, that, believe that believe differently. They've been taught differently. But I'm so glad it's a truth in the Bible that, that gives me a sweet assurance that uh, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, that salvation is not based on what I did, but what He did for me. And it brings great comfort to the heart. I'm thankful for the eternal security of the believer. Turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We took a little break. We spent the summer looking at divine encounters and uh, uh, seeing the Lord at work in lives of people. We had uh, spent about 13, 14 weeks in the book of Ephesians, and now we need to come back and finish it up. And uh, so we're going to spend the next uh, uh, months finishing up the book of Ephesians as we uh, teach, uh, preach verse by verse through the Bible. Ephesians chapter number 4. We're going to look at verse number 1. There are people today that do not believe, now they won't say this, but here's they, they do not believe that the Lord wants to grow His church. They don't. They use terminology, well, God's not doing anything today. Boy, it's hard to do anything for God today. Well, I just don't see God doing anything great today. Well, I tell you what, we haven't looked very hard. God is still changing lives. He's changing lives here at Calvary Baptist Church and other churches like it. The Lord wants to grow His church. He wants to bless His church. He wants to build His church. A lot of times we misunderstand what a church is. We have the idea that a church is a building right by there. We say there's Calvary Baptist Church. I'm not trying to, to, to be uh, um, facetious, but the reality of it is that's really not a true statement. This is just the building where Calvary Baptist Church meets. That's all it is. It's just property that we have as a church that God's blessed us with. But uh, when we leave, can I tell you that we understand this is a church, this is a building, and well, respect it as God's property. I understand all of that. But really, folks, if we were meeting in a barn, if we were out under an oak tree somewhere, and I can promise you that the Lord, there are places in, in the world where the Lord's church is meeting in, 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 in the woods or out in the jungle or underneath a palm tree somewhere, and there is much a church as Calvary Baptist Church is a church church. It's the people that make up that body of believers and God wants to grow you. God wants to build you. He does. And that's what the last part of the book of Ephesians is all about. God's already told us how He's blessed us. Now He says, here's how I want to build you. You see, our church is all about three little statements that we try to to, to remind everybody. We're a church that wants to honor God in everything that we do. Everything we do in our personal lives, our family lives, our church life, as we serve the Lord together, we want to honor God. The, the last of those three little icons and, and, and statements of our mission is we want to reach people with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a misunderstanding today about the gospel. A lot of folks that believe the gospel is feeding people and clothing people and digging wells and, and doing this and doing that. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. They're all good. But that doesn't save anybody. It might make their life better, but it won't take them to heaven. The only thing that will take anybody to heaven is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried and three days rose again. That He paid in full our sin debt. And the only way you can be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. Not going through a class. Not going through a catechism, not through being sprinkled, baptized, whatever. None of those things are going to save us. Only a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. That is all. That's it. The only way we get to heaven. The only way we can get there. And so we want clarity. And here's what Paul's doing. He's going to bring clarity 
to the Christian life over the next several chapters. Let's begin reading verse number 1. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I urge you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. If you notice, one, one, one. Look at verse 6. One God and Father of all. Not many gods. There's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Can I tell you, the Lord desires a oneness for His church. Did you see that? He does. Matter of fact, Paul's writing to a local church like Calvary Baptist Church called the church at Ephesus. He had a message for them. He has a message for you and me today. The church belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. We, we belong to Him. He loved it and gave Himself for it. Jesus didn't die for a building. He died for people. Can I tell you that, that, that He wants to grow His church? And many times when we think about church growth and church building and, 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 and the greatness of churches, we think in a physical, material way. We think about uh, uh, the size of the congregation, the, 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 the number of buildings and the, 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 the amount of the, the worth of the property or maybe the size of a bank account. A lot of people look up here on Main Street, they say, boy, that's a big church. They've got deep pockets. I can promise you that, that, that we have shallow pockets that it comes in and goes out in ministry. You see, listen, uh, we're not going to leave any money for the devil to get. When we're gone, we're not leaving anything. We're going to put, we turn that right around into life change. People's lives being changed through ministry. We think of bank accounts. We think about all these things. God never measures the greatness of church by any of those things. You see, the large church may not always be the great church. The greatness of a church is not measured by what it is physically or materially. It is determined by its commitment to its, to its Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is going to talk about our commitment to Him. And all the way, you're going to find through the next three chapters, he's going to talk about our commitment to Him, our walk with Him, what it looks like to live the Christian life, an and, and authentic Christian life. You see, I, I'm convinced today that much of what we see in the Christian life isn't authentic. And God desires that what we are and who we are be authentic. And He's going to talk to us about that and what it looks like. We're going to talk this morning about the marks of a great church. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We thank You for being so good to us, so faithful to us. Lord, I pray as I look into the pages of Your Word with Your people today that You would speak to us from Your Word, challenge us, give us something from the Scriptures today, Lord, that will change us. We want to be authentically. We want to be authentic with You and authentic with the world around us. We want to be who You saved us and called us to be. In this day, this hour, we want to be a first century church in a 21st century world. And Lord, we'll thank You for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Preacher, what are the marks of a great church? If I'm going to measure the greatness of a church, what are the measuring stick? What, what is it that makes a church great? Well, let me give them to you. We're going to look at part of it this week and part of it next week. And we might even delve into it tonight a little bit uh, because it is a vast, it, it's, a, it's a vast subject. 
Number one, if we're going to be a great church, then we need to have a Christ-honoring testimony. Can, can I tell you, a church is only as great as those who make up that church. Do you realize that? We're only as authentic as its membership, those who make up that church. And if our church is going to have a Christ-honoring testimony in the community, that means you and I have to have a Christ-honoring testimony, right? I just want to remind us, in 2021 church, testimony matters. It does. Who and what we are in our lives, out in the community, on the job, at school, uh, as we interact in our community, who and what we are as Calvary Baptist Church matters because people, through how we live our lives as believers, are forming not only their, their understanding of our church and who we are, but they're, uh, they're having an understanding of who Jesus is. And if you and I are not authentic in our lives, then they have a skewed view of Jesus Christ. We're to be reflecting Him as He is to the world as they are. That's what He's saying. Our testimony matters. You're going to find that in verse number 1. Paul is in prison. He said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. He's in Rome. He's, uh, he's been placed there and incarcerated. And, and, and you could, you, He wasn't the prisoner of Rome. He wasn't the prisoner of, of, of Caesar. He was the Lord's prisoner. He said, I'm here because God put me here. That's what he's saying. By the way, do you realize that no matter where you are in life, you can live for God? Paul can live for God in prison. You and I can live for God out of prison. I was preaching a revival in a maximum security prison. Uh, as I was walking through there, I'm rubbing shoulders with people that are incarcerated for murder and rape and some of the, the worst crimes that we can imagine. And inside that is a little oasis where there were believers that had gotten saved inside this prison and they would come to, come to church. And the, the chaplain, I knew him, he was my sister's pastor. And he said, listen, I can't do this, but I believe God wants you to do it. I want you to come into our, our prison. I want you to hold a revival. And boy, it was one of the most exciting revivals I've ever held. And I remember looking at these men. Many of them will never see the light of day outside of the walls, the cement walls of that prison. They will never know what life is outside those bars. And I remember looking at them as they had the joy and the light of Jesus in their lives. And I told them, I said, guys, if what you have works in this room, it'll work in the general population. And I just want to say, Calvary Baptist Church, if your Christianity works in here, it'll work out there. Paul's going to use the word walk. Look at verse number 1. He said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy. That word walk is a key word in the book of Ephesians. He's going to, to, to uh, help us to understand that our testimony is rooted in our walk with the Lord. He's going to mention it six times. We'll see it as we work our way through these verses over the next several weeks. And, and, and you're going to understand that Paul writes with a precision of a, of a scholar. And, and, and the book easily divides into two parts, chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6. Uh, the key word of chapters 1 through 3 would be wealth, our riches in Jesus. He mentions it six times in those, in, in, in those chapters. And he talks about and reminds us that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings, every kind of spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Friend, can I tell you, it's not that we're going to be blessed, you're already blessed. That's what God says. You're already blessed. I've already blessed you. And then, and then we find that when you come, and he's going to talk about that wealth and who we are in Christ, you come to chapter 4 and it changes. Now he's going to talk about 
our, our duty. One's our doctrine, the other's our duty. One's our belief, the other is our behavior. Now, now we come to a, another key word, and it's the word walk. And, and you're going to find that here he's going to talk about our life and, and the therefore. He said, I therefore. Did you see that? The therefore is the bridge, it's the connector that ties the two books, uh, the two parts of the books together. And, and, and here's what he's saying that our wealth as Christians and our walk as Christians go together. They're linked. You, they're inseparable. They're two sides of the same coin. For three chapters, we've been, we studied that He's telling us who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, beginning in verse number, chapter number 4, He teaches us how we're to live in Christ. He's saying, how I've blessed you. I want you to live that out in your everyday life. I want that to be a reality. Listen, we are to live who we are in Jesus Christ. So in chapters 1 through 3, he teaches us who we are in Christ. Now, chapters 4 through 6, he's going to teach us how we're to live for Christ. The truth is, who we are in Christ ought to affect how we live for Christ. That word walk's an interesting word. It means to walk about. It means to, to make one's way. It has the idea. We, we, here, here's a good, a good synonym in our day is the word lifestyle. Lifestyle. A way of life. Can I tell you, we're not just a Christian on Sunday. We're to be a Christian on Monday. We're not just to be a Christian at church. I'm going to be a Christian in my home. I'm not supposed to be just a Christian in here. I'm supposed to be one out there. That's what he's saying. Your walk. The Bible pictures the Christian life as taking a walk. Let me give you some verses. You can jot them down. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. We won't turn there. Just jot them down. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. So walk ye in Him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. We A walk is taking a step. And friend, can I tell you, I'm to be walking in step with the Savior, and I'm to follow His steps. That's what He says. He's left us a pattern to follow. Jot down 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. There it is. I'm to walk like Christ. I'm to walk with Christ. Notice he didn't say I'm to fly. He didn't say I'm to run. He didn't say I'm to sprint. He didn't say I'm to charge. He said I want you to walk. That's how we live life, step by step. Putting one foot in front of another, day by day, walking in the right direction, in the right way, with the right Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm to be walking with the Savior. Let me just ask you a quick question. How's your walk with the Savior? Notice that I beseech you. It's the idea of a coach urging his players on to victory. Paul is coming to his children in the faith and he's urging them. He's, he's, he's doing everything he can to, to give energy to them and say, listen, I, I want you to go on. I want you to be everything God wants you to be. I want you to know victory in your life. That's what he's saying. Victory. Can I tell you, that's what I want to be as a pastor. I want to be a cheerleader. I want to be a coach. I want to be somebody that comes in your life and say, listen, go on. Go on for the Lord. Be everything God wants you to be in your life. Your family. Our church. He said, walk worthy. That means fitting, proper. What should be expected? Jesus has done so much for you and me. Amen. How can we not live a life that's honoring to Him? 
pleasing. You know, I think I gave those two watchwords and I forgot one of them. That's called getting old as a pastor. I was talking about honoring God. I was talking about reaching others. You know what that middle word is? Building lives. God wants to build you. He wants to grow you. He wants you to be worthy. Worthy. Notice he mentions the word vocation. He's talking about a life lived for His glory. That word vocation is a a place, a station in life. It's where God has brought us to. Uh, He he said that you walk worthy of the vocation, the calling, the place, the station, the identification wherewith ye are called. Do you know God calls people today? God's calling you today. Did you know that? You know, God called us to be saved. He did. He called us to be saved. You know what? There's folks, I've talked with them. I said, sir, are you saved? You know, if you died, you'd go to heaven. Well, uh, They'll say something like this. Well, I'm waiting on God to speak to me. Or I'll hear this. Well, I'm waiting. When I, when I feel it, preacher, I'll get saved. I heard somebody say, well, well, I'm looking for a sign. When God shows me the sign that it's my time, then I'll get saved. Can I tell you, friend, listen, there's going to be people that are going to spend eternity in a place called hell because they've been waiting on a feeling or a sign in order to get saved. Hey, listen, God's already calling you and He's calling you right now. Amen. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, look unto me and be you saved all the ends of the earth. That's what He said. For I am God and there is none else. God is calling you right now. Listen, don't wait for a feeling. Don't wait for a sign. Listen, God's calling. Respond to that call. Don't don't wait too late. Come to the Savior. He called us to be saved, church. He called us sons and daughters of God. He used this term, sons. We're the children of God. He's called us to be saints and and servants and and soldiers and, and we're sheep. Think about all the callings that God's given us in life. I hear Christians belittle their, their, who they are in Christ. They'll say, well, I'm just a nobody. I'm just a nobody. Can I tell you, that's just a false humility. If you're a nobody, you don't know you're a nobody. Nobodies don't know they're nobodies. When I have to say I'm a nobody, I'm trying to get recognition. Pride's such a subtle thing in our lives. It is. Humility is so fragile that, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in depth, humility is so fragile that, 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 that when you think you have it, it's gone. It is. So like being spiritual. The person who thinks they're spiritual is really carnal. Spiritual people don't know they're spiritual. They think they've got so much growing left to do. Can I tell you, you've been loved by the Father. You've been saved by His Son. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You're somebody in Him. I love that song, I'm a child of the King. There's nothing like being a child of the King. God says, you're my child. You're a child of the King. Now watch this, live like it. Do you know that if you're royalty in England, that you're trained how to be royal? You are. There's a certain demeanor that comes with the title of being in the royal family and and you walk a certain way and you live a certain way and you act a certain way. And when they don't, like we see here recently, they're castigated for it. Because they're expected to live in a manner worthy of the the dignity of of being a part of the royal family. I just want to tell you, dear child of God, you're a part, you're royalty today. You're a part of the royal family. Hey, you're in the family of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And hey, there's some dignity today. We ought to live like it. Amen. We ought to. We ought to walk worthy. 
We have a high calling and a holy calling and a heavenly calling. You say, preacher, I don't feel worthy. And the truth is, we're not worthy. We're not. We're not worthy. But we're made worthy. We're made worthy in His Son. And He's given us His name, Acts eleven twenty six. And, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You know why they called them Christians? Because they looked like Christ. I can say all day long, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But here's the reality. Do I look like Him? That's the question I need to ask. Do you look like Him? And how you live, how you walk, how you talk, how you act. Oh, we don't have to walk around like we swallowed a communion rail all the time and talk in a funny voice and go, Amen. We don't have to do that. It's called being supernaturally natural. I just live my everyday life, but I live it in the power of the Holy Spirit and let Christ live through me and I'm different. I don't see things the way everybody else sees it. Different. He makes us different. Isn't that good? Amen. You see, I believe what he's saying is, is our walk ought to match our talk. Who we are in Christ ought to affect how we live for Christ. I'm just going to ask you again, how's your walk? Does it honor the Lord or dishonor the Lord? Do you please the Lord or displease the Lord? Are you a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Are you drawing people to the Lord or are you driving them away by the way you act and the way you live and your attitudes and actions in life? You see what he's saying, we're to walk worthy. Let me ask you, are you walking worthy of the dignity that God's given you as His child? Alexander the Great, stories told, had a soldier to run in battle. He was a coward. They brought him before Alexander and Alexander's standing there and he looks at him and he said, Son, what's your name? And he said, Alexander. He said, Son, I'm going to ask you again, what's your name? And he said, Alexander. He said, Son, I'm going to ask you one more time, what is your name? He said, Alexander, sir. He said, either change your ways or change your name. There's some Christians, you need to change your ways or change your name. Because we're not walking worthy. We're not reflecting the Savior. The greatest argument for or against Christianity is the life of another Christian. It is. You see, if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, if we're going to be a great church, if we're going to be a church that God can bless and build and grow, and we're going to impact the world the way God wants us to, and you're going to be the Christian that God wants you to be, then, then there, we, there needs to be a Christ-honoring testimony. We need to reflect the Savior in everything that we do. Wouldn't we agree with that? Amen. Well, to say amen right there, and then let it be so. You know what amen means? Let it be so. It's true. Let it be so. I'm tell you what, there's a number, there's, there's, our, our young people walk away. They walk away. I'm not saying this in every case, but I wonder sometimes if they walk away because they detect something not authentic in mom and dad. Not always, but I wonder. Did we reflect Christ in every area the way we should? What a question. Number two. Not only should there be a Christ-honoring testimony, but there needs to be a Spirit-filled unity. A Spirit-filled unity. Look down at verse number 3, because here's where you're going to pick up with another, with another charge to us. Look at verse number 3. He said, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I, I like what one preacher said. He said, The devil would rather start a church fuss than sell a barrel of whiskey. Now I can promise you the devil likes to sell whiskey. He does. He loves that. He loves it when Christians love it. I'm just going to let that sink in a little bit. Well, even today, when we're blurring all of that, aren't we? 
For some reason, we've twisted the Bible to all of a sudden think that it's okay as long as we're just tasting the wine. I mean, that's the cultural thing to do, isn't it? We're going to have a big battle in our community called Liquor by the Drink Vote coming up in November. I'm just going to tell you, this pastor is going to take a stand. I'm not going to let the number one legalized drug in America go, go unopposed in our community. I'm not going to let the destruction and the devastation that alcohol brings without raising my voice and saying, this is wrong. God said, woe to the man that putteth drink to his brother's lips. But can I tell you, more than selling whiskey, more than having ABC stores, the, the devil would rather start a fight right here at Calvary Baptist Church. You know, there's nothing more than divisiveness among God's people. Why? Because a church thus mars the testimony of that church in the community and hinders the flow of the gospel into people's lives. John 13.35 says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. Can I tell you, if we're going to walk worthy, if we're going to have a Christ-honoring testimony, then there needs to be a a God-honoring unity, a Spirit-filled unity. We need to walk in unity as the people of God. God desires His children walk together. There is not to be a switch. Listen, there is, and I, I thank God for it. The last I, I've been the pastor at Calvary going on fifteen years. Come March, and 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 there's been a sweet unity before I came, and there's been a sweet unity after I've been here and among the people of God, and I'm thankful for it. I am. This is not a uniformity that comes from without, but a unity that comes from within. Something the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts. It's a unity that comes because of the unifying work of the Spirit. He is the tie that binds our hearts together in Christian love. Unity is what the Holy Spirit produces and it's what you and I are to promote and protect. We're to guard it. Notice he says, verse number 3, endeavoring, that means to exert energy. That means there's labor, got to work at it. Listen, can I tell you, the unity of the Spirit within a family of believers is not something that just happens. It is made as God's people together realize there is a cause, there is a work, there is something that's greater than themselves and it is the cause and the work of Jesus Christ. Their churches, they're split over the color of carpets and the color of chairs and what this, what this is and what that is. And can I tell you, in eternity, it's not going to matter a hill of beans. At the judgment seat of Christ, it doesn't matter what color the church was. At the great way of their own judgment, when sinners are, are cast into the lake of fire, listen, at that moment, at that moment, our testimony marred and people go to hell because church is fussing over little things that don't matter. You say, preacher, is that what it is here? Absolutely not. But you know what? That's why you preventive preach. It just reminds us there's something bigger than us. There's some graces that make for unity. He mentions them. Let's look at them real quickly this morning. and We'll probably come back tonight and finish it. Look verse number 2. With all lowliness and meekness. Here's the graces of unity. Lowliness and meekness. Do you notice that when you read this verse, you're going to find that he's going to talk about several graces. He's going to talk about lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing. But did you notice there's not a comma between lowliness and meekness they are linked together? Did you see that? You see that? Little things matter in the Word of God. Let me tell you why that's like that. They're linked together because that's the heart of Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I wasn't quite through those other two, but that's okay. These guys are on it. We'll get to them. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Listen to this. Take my yoke upon you. The first one is a call to salvation. He says, come unto me all ye that labor and heavy laden. You know people, are, they're, they're, they're burdened under a load of sin, guilt, fear of the future, life. In a, and he said, I want you to come to me. Can I tell you, if you knew who Jesus was and you understood His love for you, you'd run to Him. Amen. You would. You would. We live in a day when people are running from the Lord. If we really knew who He was, we'd run to Him. Then He says to those who have come to Him, take my yoke. This is service. This is discipleship. This is walking with the Lord. If you have a yoke on, you've got two animals in that yoke. And they're walking side by side in the same yoke. And He's saying, I want you to, I want you to take my yoke. I want you to come alongside me. And I want you to walk with me. That's what he's saying. He said, for, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. There it is. Meek and lowly in heart. You know what he just told you what was in his heart? That he's meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Do you know the Bible says, the way, I hear this all the time, well, living for Jesus, that's hard. Boy, it's hard to be a Christian. Friend, can I tell you, you don't know what you're talking about. It's easy to be lived for Christ. The Bible said the way of the transgressor is hard. It's the devil that drives people. It's Jesus that leads people. Loneliness. Humility. Humility of heart is the opposite of pridefulness of heart. So many Christians get the my way or highway mentality. That's why their marriages won't work. It is. That's why their families are dysfunctional. That's why churches are, 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 are torn apart. My way, my way, my way. The only place you can have it your way is at Burger King, and then you don't always get it your way. You ever notice that? Proverbs 13.10, Only by pride cometh contention. Do you know why there's contention in nations today, and neighbors, and marriages, and churches? Because of pride. You know what the center letter in pride is? I. I. You know what my biggest pro- you know who my biggest troublemaker in this church is? I found I figured them out. I labeled them. I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna expose them. I'm gonna tell you who they are. Here's my biggest troublemaker in our church. You know who it is? I. I give me more trouble than any other human being on planet Earth. My biggest battle is with me. People say, well, I'm fighting the devil. Can I tell you, I'm fighting me. <laughs> we blame so much on the devil that's not his fault. We're just blame shifters. It's really, it's us. The devil can't make me do anything. We either choose, we choose to do and be what we are. Can I tell you, unity comes in a marriage, in a family, in a church, when I is out of the way. And then he says meekness. Meekness, that's gentleness. This is power under control. Here's a good illustration to understand what he's talking about here. In ancient times, they'd take a wild stallion. You know, they didn't have cars and automobiles back then. And they, they pretty much, horses, if, especially if you were wealthy or you had an army or you were a king, they had wild stallion. And, and they're, 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 you think about the enormous strength of a wild stallion. You, you turn that thing loose and, I mean, damage. You can do, you can do a pile of damage. But people know some things about horses. They can break that wild stallion. They break its spirit, its will, but they don't break its spirit. It's an amazing thing. They, they harness that power so that, that, that somebody can get on that horse. And here's this enormous beast, thousands of pounds with enormous power and strength. 
And a person can get on its back and ride, and we'll talk about how it's gentle. That's that word meekness. It's gentle. It has power, but it's gentle. You know what the ancients called it? They said it's meeked. It's meeked. It's power under control. Can I tell you, ma'am, you can give your husband a piece of your mind when he comes home from work if you want to. And he may deserve it. And you may be right. You may be right. You may have the power to put him in his place. Vice versa, by the way, fellas. And then you have a fight. And then your marriage begins to drift. And you sour on one another. And then you don't love each other anymore. And what you really need to do is be meeked. Power under control. I'll give you a piece of my mind. I might be right. Tell you what meekness does. Meekness withholds it. That's what meekness does. It's meeked. It's power under control. It's harnessed. You know why I don't give people a piece of my mind? I can't afford to. I don't have enough left. Can I tell you what they do, the ancients did with those wild stallions, what God wants to do with you and me? He wants to bring our spirit under the control of His Holy Spirit. He's going to talk about that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, harnessing it. You know why Christian, you know why there's Christians that God can't use them? Because they're still like a wild stallion. They've never been broken. They're still letting that flesh, that self, that I control everything. And they do damage in their homes, in their marriages, in their families, in churches. We've not been meeked. God wants to break us. He wants to bring us under the whole control of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be lowly and meek. Can I tell you, when we have loneliness and meekness in our lives, it brings harmony and peace into our lives. Number two, real quickly, let's get it. Long-suffering. That means to be long-tempered. You ever heard somebody say, watch out, that person's got a short fuse. I hope that's not said of me. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Look over there with me real quickly. I'm going to bring the message to a close here in just a second. Be angry and sin not. Usually, usually that's not our problem, is it? Usually it's the opposite end of that. We're angry and we sin. Righteous indignation is not something we're really good at. Sometimes we call it that, but in reality, uh, we, we, our, it's not righteous anger, it's sinful anger. He said, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Look at verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. You know, there are people maybe right here at Calvary Baptist Church, you have lost ground to the devil because of your temper. And you've excused it, and you've let it go, or you've joked about it, and the reality of it is that it's sin, and God said you're allowing the devil to gain ground in your life, and you need to deal with it. That's what God... You need to bring it under my control. That's what He's saying. People fly off the handle. They have a temper. They're easily angered. How often do we struggle with that? I know there's times I do. We don't have to talk about driving down 52 to Winston-Salem from King. We don't have to do that. We'll all get convicted and have to come to the altar. A lady came up to Evangelist Billy Sunday and she said, Mr. Sunday, she said, my anger doesn't hurt anyone. She said, I just blow up and then it's over. He said, man, with all due respect, he said, so does a shotgun, but look at the damage it leaves behind. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
You know what we need to do as Christians? We need to tune into the Lord. We do. We need to be swift to hear what God says to us. We need to, we need to tone down. We need to be slow to speak. And we need to sweeten up. Slow to wrath. Sweeten up. There's just a sweetness about a Christian that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit, isn't there? Number three, forbearing. Look what he says. Forbearing. Look, that, that, I love that. Forbearing one another. That's what he says in, back in Ephesians chapter 4 and, and verse number 2. Forbearing one another. I like that. The one another is of the Bible. What would it be to one another? Uh, you know what? Here you say, preach. What does that mean? Just put up with. Forbearing one another. For, put up with. Bearing along with the faults and failures of others. That's what it means. Putting up with the faults and failures. That's how you stay married for a long time. It is. I was talking about the 8.30 service. I'm going to run out of time in the 10.30 service. But, and, and you're saying, well, you're keeping going. But anyway, there, there was a, you know, sort of like toothpaste. You know, some people like to fold it up at the bottom. You ever know? I'm not going to do a survey. But don't lift your hand. How many are like that? You fold it up. I mean, you squeeze every little ounce of toothpaste off of it. But you've got a mate that just sort of, they're, they're sort of bar, barbaric. They just grab the toothpaste <laughs> right in the middle. That drives you insane. My wife has a, has a fix for that because I'm sort of barbaric. You know what that is? That's your toothpaste. This is my toothpaste. It's called forbearing. She's a good problem solver. That's how we've been married for 33 years. I've got a lot of problems and she helps me solve them. We're still living in these old run redeemed bodies. We've got a sinful flesh. We've not been made like the Lord Jesus yet. One day we will be. Every day we ought to be more like Him than we were yesterday. To dwell with, there, with those above. To dwell there above with those we love. That will be glory. But to dwell here below with those that we know. Well, now that's another story somebody wrote. It is. Forbearing one another. Can I tell you, you can't have a church this size without somebody getting crosswise with somebody else. Maybe somebody didn't look at us the right way or shake our hand or we didn't think we got treated the right way or maybe we got in somebody's seat or whatever it was. Whatever it was. I tell people all the time, if you have a chair that's yours and your name's on it, please take it home and that way nobody will sit in it. Because we don't want you to be upset. I don't, I don't want anybody to have to be upset. We can replace it. So, preacher, how do you forbear? How do you just put up with these things? Can I tell you, you want your marriage to last? You want your family to work? You want your church to have harmony? Learn to forbear. Learn to put up with the faults of others. You're not going to change everybody around you. You're not. You do it in love. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Amen. Can I say that again? Jesus loves you. He loves you more than anything you can imagine. If you don't know Him today, He wants to invite you to Him. And you know what I ought to say? Because Jesus loves you, I love you. No matter who you are. No matter what you're like. If the Lord loves you, I ought to love you. Right? Boy, the Lord loves me when I, he loved me when I was, un, I was unlovable. By the way, there's still things about me that are unlovable. I can promise you that, but He still loves me. You know what? There's going to be people out there that you look at them and there are going to be things in their lives that make them maybe a little bit unlovable. But I need to say this to myself. Jesus loves you and so I love you. Jesus loves you. I love you. Might be a little boy or girl in children's church or Sunday school that's acting up and, and maybe, maybe they're, they're, you're on your last nerve and they just stepped on it and, and you need to look at them and say, Jesus loves you and I love you. I can promise you, if you've got a nerve out there, somebody will step on it. 
Do you, do you realize our nation is so divided? Wouldn't it be amazing if we just said to people, I, Jesus loves you and I love you? Wouldn't that, change, wouldn't that change our nation? Can I tell you, there's not a problem in our nation that Jesus can't solve. Amen. I'm just going to tell you. And when you and I are like Jesus, you know what we are? We're problem solvers. We are. And above all things, have fervent charity, love among yourselves, for charity covereth a multitude of sins. Grace bonds us together. It does. These graces bond us together. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what he wants. One, one, one. You want to be a great church, Calvary Baptist Church? Have a Christ-honoring testimony. Have a spirit-filled unity. I just want to ask you one more time, then I'm going to give an invitation. How's your walk? How's your walk? Let's bow our heads in prayer.